mindfulness mode. If you don't protect them, they will oxidize and inflame you. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. It's Bruce Langford here again, and thanks for joining us. We're here to talk about quite a few different topics, but autism is going to be the center of it. My guest has written a book about autism well-being, and that's exactly what it's called, Autism Well-Being Plan, How to Get Your Child Healthy. And it's a comprehensive resource for parents to understand the most common health problems that autistic children suffer from and how to address them. So if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that this is a particular interest of mine. And I'm really interested to talk to Christian because his book really is comprehensive, well-written. If you get your hands on this book, I think you're going to agree with me that it just covers all the bases. It's really, really accurate. Excellent. So I'm here today with Christian Yardinov. Christian, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am indeed, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be on with you, my friend. Yeah, good to meet you. Good to have you here. I'm really excited about talking about this book because, wow, you really do cover a lot in this book. And you can tell right away when you start reading the book what your level of expertise is like what brought you to the point of talking about this particular topic of autism and children i know that that your whole area in life is all about health and well-being but for our our listeners tell us how you arrived at the point that you decided to write this book yeah i think uh, uh it is the case for many people that get into autism it's someone in their family is affected um, and that's what that's what happened to me in 2018 a child in my family um, a young a, a young kid was basically suspected of being on the spectrum at the time I was reading a book by a famous and brilliant man called um, William Walsh PhD mm-hmm. Dr. Walsh Right, as we like to call him, and um, I was reading his book called Nutrient Power, and he's been working with all sorts of populations, from uh, people with autism, uh, depression, schizophrenia, ADHD, and also with um, uh, violent criminals. So he's done a lot of different uh, lab work over the decades, and in the book, I, I was I was reading all the other chapters except the autism chapter didn't interest me until that moment where I found this out. So I immediately dove into that chapter and I noticed that a lot of things between different conditions are shared. For example, um, toxic metals, um, uh, low zinc, high copper, and, and a, a few other things. So I was very fascinated. I I suspected it's another one of those things where we're told it's genetic, but it, it's far from when you actually deep deep Uh, do a deep dive into it so i followed the references to the scientific papers in the back of the book and that uh some listeners might know if you read one scientific paper there's usually 100 to 300 uh references in the back of that so it turns into a massive rabbit hole so hundreds and hundreds of studies later um in 2020 march 2020 is when I published the book. And the reason I decided to write and publish the book is I was trying to help more people out. I joined some Facebook groups with the information I had found whilst I was helping my family members. And I was very quickly met with a lot of disdain. And it this is something I found out later that there's a lot of, I suppose, stigma. There's a lot of 
unproductive emotions with parents that have autistic kids. Um, and it's actually very difficult. It was very difficult for me to get through to them. I, I was, again, like I said, met with a lot of disdain. And I said to myself then and to my then girlfriend, now wife, I told her nobody will take me seriously regarding this stuff unless I write a book. And I said, you know, I've always, since the age of maybe 10 years old, I knew I was going to write a book one day. I was proclaiming it in my 20s, even though we were, you know, just uh, lousy, uh, good for nothing, no no good doers. <laughs> but I was still, I was still messing, messing with my friends. That's pretty that, harsh. You know? <laughs> yeah, we were, you know, wasted a lot, a lot of time in my 20s, but I was always kind of here and there, I would joke, you know, I'm going to write a book one day, you guys will see, and then they would laugh at me, yeah, who's going to write your, who's going to read your silly little book, dude, and, but anyway, so, um, I wrote the book with the, the idea that nobody's helping a lot of these parents, they're going to the doctor, first thing with their small child, and the doctors just clip their wings, they say, there is no cure, it's for life, it's genetic, nothing you can do. And most parents are, that's that's them done. Most of them won't even do any extra, oh, many of them won't do a lot of much extra research. And the, the fact is, as my book outlines, as you can see, there's a lot that parents can do. Uh, and the earlier they start, the better. And it's all a matter of educating these folks. So that's what I, I set out to to help with, uh, with my book and my work. Well, um... I have so many questions to ask you, but first tell us about mindfulness and what that means to you. Because I know that uh, that's important when it comes to raising children and when it comes to raising autistic children, for sure. So I think to me, my, I'm a dad as well. Now. So, so I, when I wrote the book, I, I didn't have a kid. Yeah. So I felt like some of the recommendations in the book, I was they were a little bit, um, how do I say, neutral. I wasn't telling, giving um personal advice i was giving what i know from from other parents and, and, and kind of families i've i've spoken to and worked with so um now that i'm a dad for me my just to answer your question my mindfulness is very simply being aware so you're aware you're not in a, a sort of like a dreams half half um daydreaming thinking about like for example today we were out with my daughter in 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 the morning to get some sun because now the days are shorter. We went to see some donkeys nearby and some geese and chickens that a neighbor has. And my daughter and my dog, these two creatures, amazing creatures, they're really what kind of keeps me in this mindfulness state. When I when I lapse, I notice I'm thinking about something and my daughter is doing something really cute or with a dog or on her own. And I, that is what wakes me up and says, you know, be present, be here observe the surroundings don't be in your head because I, I just started writing in my next book so it's like i find myself i'm in in a family situation let's say dinner and i'm thinking about this chapter where where would this topic go where do i crowbar this concept into the book so i'm noticing uh i'm not mindful and i am usually good about that and it's just a matter of catch, catch up with the breath just remember where the breath is remember where you are feel the body and then be here be present so that that's what mind mindfulness is for me in a nutshell yeah well uh so mindful tribe you know that uh i'm a dad and you know that my son is 22 you probably know that as well and that uh when he was about five he was diagnosed with autism and uh 
so he's very high functioning and has done really well in a lot of ways. But thinking back, it was really tough as a parent because I, I think we felt very alone and we did a lot of reading, but as far as trying to find like anyone to actually help us or anyone who actually knew there, it just felt like we were pretty alone out there. And then the other thing is that sometimes you would read things and it would give you the impression that, well, that there was something wrong with your child. And I love what you do, Christian, you talk right away about your child is not broken. Your child is perfectly the way they're supposed to be. They're not broken. And and that's basically our philosophy is that we just wanted to um, be as loving and just as open and uh, just be the best parents we possibly could and be accepting of of who he was and and really encourage him to be who he was. So that's kind of where we started. And that's how I feel that you started your book is yeah. that, you know, you went with that idea, you know, your child is not broken, right? Yeah, but like uh, the, this is this is something again that I, I noticed in those Facebook communities that I um, joined yeah. is a parent would come in, new parent, and they would be like, what about the gluten-free casein-free diet for autism? And then people would, would start almost shaming them that, that this, this person that's coming to, to look for help, they're starting to get uh, shamed into, like, I remember some comment was, you should accept the child that God gave you and not try to fix your child and mm. things like that. And even so, some some people close to me that have autistic kids um, that I try to help out with lab testing and supplements and stuff. At one point, they would lose interest, and I was like, "What? Well, why? You know, we're making good progress. Why? Why? Um, why? Why? You know, why not continue?" It's like oh, I just feel like I'm trying to fix my child and stuff. And I I can almost guarantee that that is the influence of probably some other people that just they they just don't believe that any of that stuff is relevant or um uh it's going to work or it's going to have any positive impact so absolutely that our kids are who they are and if when when your kid is if, when something is you know as a parent something is not right with your kid's health it doesn't mean that trying to uh resolve that issue or figure out what's the problem there. It doesn't mean that you're not accepting your child for who you are. It's not like we're trying to change the character of the child. No. We're not trying to change their personality. They can be still still have their quirks and all these other things. But, you know, if you take it, like I say, um, I think in the book I said that, I can't remember on my website. If you take your child to the doctor and your child is like really sick, like it clearly is like a bacterial infection and the doctor gives you an antibiotic, um, would you go home and then before you give your child the antibiotic, it's like, you know, honey, to your spouse, honey, you know what? Um, I don't think I don't think we should give our kid this antibiotic. What are we trying to fix our kid? We're not accepting the, the situation God gave us. You know how, how that doesn't that just sound ridiculous? It does. It, it does preposterous. sound completely ridiculous. So, exactly. So it's the same with if you go to the doctor and, and they do some lab work and your child has an iron deficiency. But for some reason, when we talk about what, so this is based on the research into autism, right? When we talk about things like a lot of these kids with autism, 
the populations that they have tested, a lot of them have gut dysbiosis, gut problems, uh, nutrient deficiencies. They have toxic metals, toxic chemicals, sometimes um, mold toxicity. So we have the research that shows that these kids have something, but it's not something that you just go to your doctor and they know to check for. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, these things don't, don't, uh, looking for these things and trying to resolve these things somehow turned into trying to fix our kids, whereas the things that the regular doctor can help with, they're just standard routine. So this has been kind of a, a little bit of a point of frustration to me. And I, I always try to, to, when I'm communicating with parents, it's like we're not, we're not trying to fix things. We're trying to remove impediments to your child's uh, um uh, ability to fully thrive. Once you figure out what things are impeding your child's development and remove those, they will naturally start to reach for their genetic potential. I, I'll give you one quick case in point, Bruce. So there was a study. They gave um, some autistic kids. Uh, actually, I can't remember the ages of them. Maybe they were um, a little. They weren't like kids, like in their uh, you know four to six. Eight. Maybe they were a bit older, yeah. but. They gave them an antibiotic. I forget that was it metronidazole or vancosin. They gave them an antibiotic, and they had a an improvement in autistic symptoms based on whatever checklist or rating scale. So they had an improvement in the autistic symptoms after this antibiotic, but that improvement was temporary. So uh, th that particular antibiotic works really well for certain Clostridia bacteria species that leave behind spores. So my sort of take on this is they killed a bunch of Clostridia bacteria in the in the guts of those kids that were contributing to the whole picture of autism. After some weeks, those spores, quote unquote, hatched and, you know, the a new life cycle began mm -hmm. and they started exuding those harmful chemicals that they do. And then the symptoms returned. So my question to anyone that sort of doubts or, or, or sort of uh, says it's all genetic is if if it's genetic, if those kids want to be that way, why do they, why do their uh, whole uh, behavior, does the whole behavior change after an antibiotic? Surely an antibiotic should not change your behavior unless that behavior was um, in some way, shape or form affected by the microorganisms in the gut and the toxins they produce. So that's one one study that I really think kind of shatters this idea that it's all genetic. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk specifically about gut health. I know that you've already touched on it. Why do you think that seems to be such a big problem? So many reasons. I think one reason is a lot of, and we're talking now specifically, specifically for autism, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one reason is a lot of a lot of kids' moms have some type of immune immune system, let's say, either irregularities or activation during the 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 pregnancy. So some, for example, they've they've done research where if the mother has an autoimmune issue like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or Type 1 diabetes, there's a higher <clears throat> incidence of autism then. 
in the children. Um, also, we have things like uh, if you get a bacterial infection or some type of you know virus or whatever, these things cause um, um, an immune response, right? And the thing is, <coughs> excuse me, when a woman is pregnant, the immune system can be dampened because you do, it, you know you don't want the the immune system to attack the fetus because it's technically a a foreign thing in the body mm -hmm. so the immune it, it, it the immune system is dampened in many ways so if you add something that an, creates an aberration it we create a bunch of immune cells that then can cross the placental barrier and they can um they can change the the developing immune system they can cause some type of dysregulation so immune system dysregulation of some sort is very common in autism and the fact that the immune system is tightly linked to the gut so we think think about it this way you have the gut and something like 60 to 70 percent of the all of the body's immune cells are kind of in and around the gut area right so if you if you have a, a disturbed immune system to begin with for whatever reason be it from antibiotics some medications um, toxins in the environment your mother had some type of immune activation um, then your immune system may be somewhat dysregulated that will affect the gut that will that means that foods that would normally not be a problem can become what is known as antigenic uh, that can lead to inflammation that can lead to intestinal permeability or leaky gut that can cause further issues with the foods coming in becoming um, immunogenic or sort of uh, activating the immune system and this can cause a vicious circle or vicious cycle where more inflammation more immune activation can occur and that that actually creates a ripe environment first of all for existing bacteria or or um not necessarily pathogenic but bacteria in the gut that are not good in great amounts or in great numbers if they start proliferating that can cause more sort of uh, dysbiosis uh you can also um if your immune system is somewhat perturbed um, you can get a, it's more easy to get an infection. And that, again, it, it can cause a, a whole vicious cycle of things that further exacerbate this whole thing. And then the other piece of the puzzle with autism, especially is, so I just said the gut and the, and the immune system are very tightly linked. But another thing that is coming more and more into the, the, light, the limelight now is the fact that the gut is actually a part of the uh, the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of ner nervous tissue in the gut area. <clears throat> and there's a, uh, they, call it, they call it the gut-brain axis. So they, the two communicate, it's not just the brain sending signals and controlling functions in the body. There are certain things that signal back to the brain. So the gut and the brain and the microbiota, the, the intestinal bacteria and other organisms, they affect that axis and that can cause neurological um, um, effects right so a lot of a lot of people and this is outside of the scope of autism but a lot of people with a disturbed gut can have only solely neurological symptoms I'm talking sleep problems depression headaches things like that can be caused by a gut problem and they, they, their gut function may seem completely normal, no diarrhea, no constipation, no gas, flatulence, uh, bloating. And it's all caused by the gut. 
but it only manifests as like again neurological things, headaches, depression, mood issues. So, so in autism, uh, that's a really probably the centerpiece of the whole uh, equation is this sort of this. There's I I guarantee you, or I'm willing to bet, let's say a thousand dollars. If you give me any amount of autistic children, be it a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a million, I'm willing to bet on each one of those children blindly a thousand bucks that they will they will have a gut problem of some kind that we can wow. investigate with a stool test. And I will lose some of those bets, but in the aggregate, the 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 I am I'm thinking 97% of those bets I would probably win. Wow. That is how important and big this issue is. Yeah, that's quite a statement. Let's talk about minerals. Why is it that so many minerals seem to be out of balance when it comes to autistic children? Well, the one of the biggest reasons is we're actually not eating a lot of minerals now, nowadays as a society. Mm -hmm. uh, one big reason for that, first of all, is the fact that a lot of the pro the products that we eat have been stripped of the minerals. So if you look at all the things with flour, white bread, pasta, which are a huge staple, uh, excuse me, these are you know bereft of much nutrition. They're fortified with things like zinc oxide, iron oxide, some B vitamins, but generally these are very um, low quality, poor or low bioavailability. Um, substitutions then the other thing is all the 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 farming and the over farming uh, of the the agricultural land when a plant grows it uptakes a bunch of the minerals in the soil okay and then you know we eat we eat that we poop that out and instead of nowadays instead of reapplying that back to the soil like we used to that probably goes into the ocean and it's harmful in 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 whatever way form it goes there it's harmful there and it leaves the, the soil bereft of nutrients over time. And sure, one, one to 10 years, not a big issue, but we've been farming in this way for something like, you know, 120 years at this point, 110 years. And usually farmers just reapply back um, NPK, you know, nitrogen, <clears throat> phosphorus, potassium, and, you know, more organic regenerative farmers, they're a little bit smarter and they use manures and stuff like that. But for the most part, industrially processed food which is what most of the population now it seems are eating it's um it's a big issue and what what that causes let's say you're eating a, a a diet very low in zinc and magnesium and calcium and selenium the the fact that you're getting less of these minerals means obviously first of all that your body is not working at optimal but it also allows more more of the toxic metals to be absorbed. So if you are very low in zinc or your diet is low in zinc, the body will take up more cadmium, which is very hard and very toxic. And it can lead to um, arterial stiffness, high blood pressure in autistic kids. Um, I think they've, they've, they've done, I can't remember was it in autistic kids, but they've done studies where I think in, um, in ADHD, it, it's very common. So lead, um, was it lead, cadmium, uh, mercury, aluminum, and arsenic. These are like the, the five more, most prevalent uh, metals. And certain, again, so calcium, if your diet is low in calcium, 
you literally will uptake more lead in the bones and it gets stored in the bones and it gets slowly uh, secreted into the blood over time because bone has a turnover. It's a living tissue. So the biggest, the biggest the defense vector for the toxic metals from the diet is is ensuring we are supplying minerals in our diet. And nowadays, uh, it's unfortunate to say, but the best source is supplemental. Unless you eat liver regularly, like like I do, my like my family does every every couple of days, and sometimes every day when we need more support, like when we're a little bit we have a cold or something like that. Unless you do that. Um, or take some minerals as a supplement. I think most people are, are at a very suboptimal for them intake. And over time, that is just really going to um, show, manifest more and more as dysfunction and eventually some type of symptom or condition. Right. I know you live in Portugal, Christian. Uh, I've heard that it's a lot easier to get some of these minerals and to eat healthy in European countries than it is in North America. Is that true? Yeah, I, I think so because uh, I, most of my clients are actually in the USA, and I can see what the, some of them track diet uh, mm -hmm. in 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 our client management app. So I can see what they're eating on a regular basis, and what what and I don't mean this in any sort of negative way. It's just the way things are. What constitutes a healthy diet in the USA, in Europe, in many places, it would be considered a very unhealthy diet, mm -hmm. and so. Um, and what what is considered a healthy diet in Europe, I personally consider a very unhealthy diet, right? So okay. a, it's a big it's a big spectrum. Um, luckily, when people start working with me, we can definitely start uh, teasing out all the things that are really hurting the diet. But yeah, the general the general population in the USA have been royally screwed over by big agriculture, big pharma, all the big industry, right? Because mm -hmm. If you look at, I, just as an example, if you look at um, baby formula in, in Europe, it's horrendous. Mm -hmm. We're talking sunflower oil, a bunch of uh, different yeah. omega-6 oils, just disgusting things. But if you look at that um, baby formula in the, the USA, it's beyond disgusting. It's, that should be criminal that, that they're selling this stuff. We're talking high fructose corn syrup, yeah. soybean oil. So... For whatever reason, the the American public are really, really getting the 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 totally. short end of the stick. Soybean oil in everything, GMOs, um, food colorings in everything. Uh, just these, just the the seed oils, the vegetable oils, as they're also known. The fact that they're so prevalent, that alone is probably the biggest driver of heart disease, cancer, and all the other in diseases in between. Right. And, and even between us and Canada, I know that like there are all kinds of products that you, they look like the same product on the label, but then when you, you read the ingredients, you find out the products that are sold in the U S have corn syrup in them. And the ones that are in Canada do not. And you know, there are some of those differences that is surprising because we're all in North America over here, but, uh, there's a lot of differences between some of the foods that are sold in Canada compared to the U.S. Yeah, and, and another thing that's actually very scary is I was reading some research for my next book today. And if you um, – we know that obesity is a big problem in the Western world. Yeah. But um, it's particularly bad in um, – or particularly worse in the USA. Um, but 
what happens is when you when you have a lot of fatty stores, fatty tissue, that is a a, a storage site <clears throat> for a lot of toxins like persistent organic pollutants. So a lot of these things have been taken off the market for decades, but they're so persistent in the environment and they're so lipophilic, so they have an affinity for fat, fatty tissue, um, is that <clears throat> the, 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 uh, um, what I'm trying to say here, excuse me. Uh, so the, a lot of these folks that are, you know, overweight and obese, they have stored up a lot of this, these toxins in their, in their body. Um, and some, some speculate that maybe that's a defense mechanism. Maybe the body is not allowing them to release that fat or it's accumulating more so that it becomes a repository or a, a storage depot for these uh, toxins so that they don't circulate in other places where there's fats like the brain, organs, and they don't, they don't cause serious damage, right? Um, so the, to tie it back to the food thing is a lot of, uh, non especially non-organically produced animal products can actually be a, a big source of these persistent organic pollutants. So uh, they kind of, because they're so, again, persistent, they kind of bioaccumulate up the um, the food chain. So, you know, for example, we know fatty fish, uh, they will have that in their fats. Um, animal products like milk, uh, uh, the 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 fat on beef on cattle right is going to be accumulating these things. So another another play uh, another way I see that the American public especially have been really uh, done in is the fact that they're consuming a lot of these persistent organic pollutants in the diet. So now, like if I was living in the states, I would have to be, I, I'm I would be probably. Uh, uh, diagnosed with orthorexia nervosa. That is how um, pedantic I would become about sourcing my food. Mm. I would, I certainly wouldn't go into like a regular store and just get some milk or some cheese or some some meat or things like that. I would be looking for farmers, probably in very kind of faraway places <clears throat> that possibly deliver, where I know that the they know the the land and what's been done with that land because you can have a lot of let's say um uh pesticide applications or other chemicals being used on a piece of land and then maybe 10 years later you know you might have someone turn it into an organic cert organically certified farm thinking now you're getting good food but you could be getting a lot of the contaminants from the soil for yeah, a very long for time for years years for years sometimes decades and, and in the body as well they can last decades so um you have to, nowadays you have to really this has to be if you if you value your life and your health and your family's life and health um this has to be a person's number one priority if they want to uh not just survive but thrive in the modern world oh yeah for sure well as well as health and nutrition you're also a breathing instructor uh Butico, is that how you say that? Butico breathing instructor? Buteco. Buteco. Yeah, tell Buteco. us about that and how breathing can really help autistic children. Yeah, so um, I, I learned Buteco or Buteco. Uh, basically, the, the, it's the, the breathing method, Buteco, is named after Dr. Constantine Buteco. And um, I learned it from someone in Ireland called Patrick McKeown, who is the foremost world 
authority on breathing. And uh, he learned the method directly from Dr. Buteyko. I think he was Ukrainian, I believe, mm -hmm. or, or Russian. One of the two. I, I, I always forget. Um, but uh, basically what he noticed, what Dr. Buteyko noticed back in, I think it was the 80s, is that um, his patients, or the, the closer somebody was to dying, the the more shallow they, shallowly they would breathe. And um, Patrick McKeown and, and his Buteyko method, they basically teaches that um, in today's society, chronic hyperventilation, or to just say it more easily, over-breathing is very prevalent. So a lot of us, we breathe too much, so a, too large a volume of air in per minute, right? So the method is all about using simple breath hold exercises in order to to teach the body to to breathe a smaller amount of air so it's about slowing down the breath and then not really so if i can show not really expanding the belly too much when you breathe it it should be so slow and quiet it that it should be almost imperceptible right mm. the breathing and it it actually children learn it very fast now with autistic kids i haven't really i haven't really used this with my clients much because um I've just been focusing on the other stuff with the lab testing and the nutrition, the diet, but um, just with with um, with kids in general or adults in general, what we find is when they retrain uh, themselves to breathe a little bit less and uh, to breathe through the nose at all times, which is another thing that this modern society has kind of created is we seem to, to sigh, people sigh, it's a way to like let go of some tension, uh, we yawn, and we just kind of, you know, some people would like every once, every few minutes will go, <sighs> you know, I, I, have you noticed that? Yes, so, I have. Yeah, so what that does actually, <clears throat> as benign as it looks and seems, what you when you breathe too much or you breathe through the mouth as well, you're actually expelling a lot of a lot more carbon dioxide than, than you you want to. And what that does is it changes the pH of the blood. And when that happens it can actually be harder for the oxygen in the hemoglobin in the blood to get released to the cells so even if you breathe very a lot and very fast <clears throat> you are actually getting less well oxygenated so uh, it's kind of paradoxical mm -hmm. but if you actually breathe slowly through the nose in and out but i'm talking maybe a cadence of 12 10 to 12 breaths per minute which is actually a little bit less than most people breathe i think now some people can breathe up to 20 breaths per minute 14 15 is kind of a a fairly normal amount so it's about slowing the breathing down and then you notice um anxiety <clears throat> things like anxiety adhd improve a lot right in fact, there was a study I, I cited in my book, children at three age with sleep disordered breathing um, had a higher need for special education needs or had a higher special education need right. by the age of eight, right? So wow. breathing re-education is one of those things where it's, it's not super sexy, but um, it's like mindfulness or meditation. It's a very subtle little thing, just maybe watching the breath, or just kind of calming down, putting your attention on the inside. So what we find with breathing re-education in this way, and these simple little breath hold exercises, you um, 
you actually become calmer. So he's got, uh, Patrick McKeown has written something like 11 and 12 books. And one of them is all about using the method for anxiety. He has one for sleeping better, uh, one for asthma. So there's just um, a myriad of applications for improving the breath from uh, uh, improving pregnancy, sort of uh, comfort and outcomes to, uh, like I said already, anxiety, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, just re really all of the conditions that you can think of can be improved just by improving the breathing patterns. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, really interesting too, that a lot of people think they're doing really great things with the way they're breathing, but in fact, a lot of us are doing it wrong. So I'm really glad we, we were able to touch on that. Actually, back in 2018, I think it was 2018 when I studied breathing with him, the first thing that caught me is he said, well, when you go to yoga class, what does the yoga teacher say? Take a nice deep breath and yeah. then breathe out through the mouth. That's right. And I, I kind of sometimes tell people, here's an experiment you could do. Breathe in through the mouth 20 times. Go. And five, 10 breaths in, you notice your, if you touch your kind of your neck area, you can, your carotid artery, you can see how quickly your pulse has started to raise. And what you're doing is by breathing in through the, in and out through the mouth, you're actually activating the sympathetic or the fight or flight nervous system. And on the other hand, if you do it through the nose slowly, you can see how you're calming down. If you're, if you're monitoring your vitals, you would see your pulse is lowering, your um, blood pressure is lowering, a bunch of things are lowering, you know? Um, so it's kind of interesting that uh, you go to these sort of, places about that are about relaxation and a lot of yoga instructors don't know the 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 very thing that yoga is all about it's about the breath in these various positions which is why actually i'm glad that a few days ago i noticed this patrick mckeown character i just mentioned yeah him and one of his students just published a 700 page book that's all about your uh breathing for yoga so uh, they're going to be re-educating a lot of instructors, hopefully, and uh, going to be making some positive changes in that on that front. Well, wow, that's some intense book. And your book <laughs> is not anywhere close to that length. So I want to make sure that my listeners understand that <laughs> your book is very digestible. You know, it's not too long. It's not too complicated. It's very easy to read and understand and get to the end of it. And you can uh, scan through the index and see so many different topics related to the health of your child and you can jump toward those uh, topics if you want to but it's a very easy read now i know i i mentioned to you that we'd be talking briefly about the topic of bullying do you have a short story you can share with us about bullying and how it relates to mindfulness um well i, I actually was i had a lot of run-ins with bullying in school because when I was nine, we we moved. My family moved from Bulgaria to South Africa, and I was uh, kind of the odd kid out. I couldn't speak English. Right. I was different. So um, there was a lot of run-ins with bullying. And honestly, my my the lesson I learned there is you have to stand up to to the bully. And um, I, I I've. You know, I'm not saying I'm proud of it, but I was in a in a lot of fights when I was a kid, and I I would jump like multiple kids because they they just 
they pushed me over the edge. And then the, the, the crazy part is that when I went back to Bulgaria six, six years later, again, I was the different, uh, the different person. So again, there was bullying. There was a lot of this stuff. Um, when it comes, so I've definitely experienced bullying myself. And, um, obviously not, I'm not proud to say that it, I actually have also bullied children as a, it's kind of probably a way to reclaim the strength and it's not a very healthy way of doing it. And obviously I, nowadays I, I, I don't feel like that, that is the right way to deal with it personally, mm -hmm. but I believe we really have to, to teach, at least with the way I'm going to operate with my child is I really think we have to teach ourselves or our children, whoever the, the person in question is, that we have to stand up to the bully. We and it, that takes presence of mind. If it's if you get into sort of a uh, sort of a like a help learned helplessness mode, mm -hmm. that means you probably you weren't as mindful as you could be. And that means you just kind of go into defensive mode, you hide into your shell. And that can actually <clears throat> that can actually not work out very well for you because you can, it can cause people to go towards addictive things, um, hurting themselves in, in some way. So we have to stand up to the to the to the bully and for for to do that we have to be mindful. That's why we have to teach I at least again my view, my my opinion, I'm going to teach my child that it's these things are not acceptable from an early age and if something like that happens you have to stand your ground and and you know do something about it and never never cower and um you know it's it's okay to talk about it now in terms of mindfulness god i'll tell you i i i'm not really i don't i don't consider myself in any way shape or form an expert on this but i would say that um probably we have to we have to have the presence of mind to understand that the people bullying are very, very hurt people. Yes. And, and this, we have to perhaps come from a place of empathy. So we don't see them as an enemy, but we see them as a, like the, the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. Yes. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't even consider it personal, right? So uh, if you can depersonalize it, you can take away some of the pain on you, like you, you know, or the victimhood that can actually warp a lot of future relationships. So if we can be, have the presence of mind to understand it's not personal, don't take it personally, uh, but definitely try to uh, extract yourself out of the situation and not allow the person to to think that they can can continue to perpetuate this uh, this behavior. Yeah, that's great advice. I 100% agree with that. And as we move forward in the interview, I am just want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 sure. second answers are perfect. First one is this, who's one person who has been a very powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Actually, I'll have to say Patrick McKeown again, because mm -hmm. doing all the breathing stuff that was part of me becoming a Buteco practitioner. I remember when we were in his house in um, near his clinic in uh, in Ireland, in kind of the west of Ireland, it was a, almost a spiritual experience to be so connected to the breath and to, to be studying the breath and to actually understand the breath and see how calm he is and how healthy he is. He's in his 50s now. Um, just And all he does is the breath, you know, and just the basic things about lifestyle and diet. No crazy biohacking and stuff. So he's been a really great influence on me. And the fact that he can churn out a book every year for the last 10, 11 years is 
phenomenal. That is phenomenal. My next question is about emotions. Tell us how mindfulness has helped you deal with your emotions in a better way. My emotions, I think the older I get, the more I'm able to breathe in and think about what someone said or what has occurred before reacting. When I was younger, I was much more impulsive. And I guess the older I get, just the more I kind of stop for a second. And then instead of having to like reply or, or say something immediately, I can extract myself from the situation and either tomorrow or a couple of hours later, I can respond or, or kind of come in with a decision. So I think, I, I, to be honest, I think it's just a matter of uh, the, the, the process of, of mastering your emotions is, a, is a, a journey, not a destination. And I guess it's one of those things that you learn more as you, as you become more mature. Right. My next question is all, always about breathing, but we've really covered this. And I want to just move on to the next question, which is about a book. You've mentioned a couple of books. Are there any books besides yours? And I'll mention the name of yours again, Autism Wellbeing Plan, How to Get Your Child Healthy. So any other books that you would uh, recommend? Actually, <clears throat> I a lot of books, to be honest, I can recommend, but I actually really like Robert Greene. Uh-huh. He has written a number of books, um, The 48 Laws of Power, The Laws of Human Nature, Mastery, um, 33 Strategies of War. Uh, so those, I have all of those. And I have, basically, I think I have all of his books and most of them in audiobook format as well. And he just, he's a great, um, he understands psychology and all of his books, they have a lot of historical figures mm -hmm. and there's a lot of psychology. For example, the laws of human nature, that would be kind of my, my favorite one at the moment. Uh, it really kind of helps you understand the human condition uh, so that you are able to better, uh, I suppose, live better in, in society. But it also there's a lot of really interesting anecdotes from history, from leaders, mm -hmm. politicians, artists. So it's a fascinating read and a very interesting listen on Audible. Oh, I'm going to check that out because I have not read anything by Robert Greene. So. You will love it. Yeah. I, I thank you for and that he recommendation. Has, he has such a simple writing style, mm. but it's, it's just so easy to read and you, you almost feel like you're getting a, a history and a psychology lesson at the same time. Cool. That's great. And my last question is about an app. You've mentioned an app. I, I heard you mention that near the beginning of the program. What app would you recommend that can help with mindfulness or with just living in general? I'm going to throw one. I'm going to throw a curveball at you here, Bruce. I recommend leaving your phone at home <laughs> and getting yeah. the heck out of your house yeah. in the sunshine. Yeah. If you can expose a bunch of skin to the sunshine, bring your pet or your child, uh, leave your earphones at home, leave your phone at home and be outside. Listen to the birds sing, listen to the wind howl and look at some insects doing their things, some ants, some bees, whatever and just interact with the natural world because that is probably one of the best biohacks one can do in today's world. 
That is a really, really good piece of advice. I totally agree. Well, Christian, it has been fantastic talking to you, and I really appreciate the book you've written. And before we wrap it up, do you have any final words of advice? Actually, what you just said sounds like a final word of advice, but maybe you have another couple of things you can mention. (laughs) I'll just reiterate, get guys, gals, everybody, get the seed oils and their remnants out of the diet. This is beyond cholesterol, saturated fat, sugar, uh, all of those things are nothing in comparison to the detrimental effects we're getting from the seed oils and everything everything around us, so everything with omega-6s. I honestly believe even nut seeds, anything that has omega-6 doesn't belong in appreciable quantities in the human diet, right? Um, So if you can get those things out of your diet as soon as possible and get some full spectrum vitamin E to protect the the ones that are already in your body, because if you don't protect them, they will oxidize and inflame you and deplete you of antioxidants and cause damage and give you fatigue and potentially even, uh, you know, uh, cause some type of condition down the line. So remove them out of your diet, get some full spectrum vitamin E. And take it every day for for a few years while this stuff kind of gets out of your system. Mm. This is the best gift you can give to yourself and your health for the long term. Yeah, I totally agree about seed oils. Get them out of your kitchen. Get them out of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Christian, thank you so much for being a guest on Mindfulness Mode today. Bruce, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us today. And I want to thank my sponsor, Athletic Greens. They have a product called AG1. And I can tell you that this is a terrific product. It contains 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, and probiotics. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this will work for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial ingredients. It supports better sleep and better alertness. Athletic Greens uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than three a day. So here's a special offer for you, Mindful Tribe. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com mindfulness. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.